I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, I've got a grandfather and his grandson, at least musically speaking. We'll hear a profile of composer Steve Reich, the eighth icon of Echoes. We'll hear Reich talk about his music from his early tape works through his later compositions, including music for 18 musicians. I've also got an interview with Digitonal, the ambient chamber music group very much influenced by Steve Reich and minimalism. Their latest album, Set of the Weather Fair, was the Echoes CD of the Month last November, and it was in the top five of the best of Echoes 2020. That's all ahead. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about Yenisei Crossing by Mystified, one of the new albums from Spotted Peccary. Yenisei Crossing is a collection of atmospheric sonic collages using looping that explore texture, random events, subliminal and surreal associations, all of it inspired by Siberia's Yenisei River. This is music that will twist your mind and ask you to re-examine your idea of what constitutes music. Yenisei Crossing by Mystified is available from Amazon, iTunes, Bandcamp, and other retailers. And now, let's hear from Digitonal. Digitonal is the British project of Andy Dobson. Under that guise, he's been making the most deliriously beautiful ambient chamber music for two decades. He's joined by different collaborators on every album that often alter the shape of the project, and this time he's joined by Don Graveson, part of the CERN Collective who created rave electronic dance hits. They've gotten together and released the album Set the Weather Fair. talking to Andy Dobson from his home in London and Dom Graveson from his home in Utrecht, the Netherlands. Graveson is having a little trouble getting his technical setup together for our talk. We can do fast Fourier transform of cross-modulated samples, but when it comes to actually just recording an interview, it all gets very complicated. But then that's the same. I can't really work a washing machine or a VCR <laughs> either. Well, wait a second. You have a VCR? Yeah, well, no, I don't anymore. In fact, wait a second. I, I, I'm a musician and I have a washing machine. He may have difficulty getting his Zoom recording together, but for the last few decades, he's been a wizard of electronics, spending most of the 90s in a project called CERN, which, in this instance, is not the acronym for the European Organization for Nuclear Research, but... CERN the cheap emotional response network it's i know it was it was it was a joke dude i mean seriously but the music wasn't
This is related to the music of early digitonal releases like The Center Cannot Hold, but not the sound we've come to identify as digitonal since 2008. Digitonal with Wide-Eyed Wrapped in Love, a song that defines the digitonal ambient chamber music sound. How Graveson and Dobson come together is the story of Set of the Weather Fair. Andy Dobson. I'm a traditional musician by any measure, so we come from a classical choral background training right the way through to all of that kind of stuff. And then I think Dom doesn't come from that world, but we sort of meet it in the culture in the same way. So what we've got in common is a sort of shared cultural language which comes out of sort of London 90s club land and it comes out of things like the Big Chill and it comes out of a, a sort of explosion of creativity particularly in the 1990s of art and music. Andy is much more rigorous about certain things than I am so I might not mind so much about the musicality of something but I'll be obsessive over the sound whereas Andy might sometimes not be so worried about the sound or the sonics of something but will be very exacting about musicality. got together some five years ago it wasn't going to be for digitonal we didn't start out to do digitonal when dom and i started working together we had a different project name and we were doing stuff in parallel to digitonal uh, the other name was the invisibles that we played under briefly and that was funny as well because that started as a sort of modular improvised techno sort of thing much more dance floor Tom Grayson doesn't bring the big beat and wave your hands in the air dynamics of rave music to digitonal. He brings a different sense of sound design and texture. I will, you know, be deeply moved by a very subtle movement, in like glacial movement in sound. Deeply, deeply moved. Take a track like Bramley, named for the road Dobson lives on. So there was a breakthrough moment on that track. So actually the opening of that, which is very Richard Robbins and Thomas Newman influenced, you know, with the piano part particularly, which is just something I improvised one day. That track came to life when that went over to Dom. And Dom had found this way of processing it, reprocessing it, finding the little resonant points, putting it through his creative process 
that not only sort of link the two halves of the track together, but we felt were a real statement of intent. And the kind of almost architecture of music that fascinates me is that how do you, what do you combine with complexity? What do you combine with, you know, the kind of resolution of, of music that's obvious? Well, how can you create that discomfort amongst comfort? Epic 10-minute track, Gold of the Azure, has a similar approach. I had to learn also to become comfortable with sitting in sound. Actually, Gold is the Azure is a really good example. That really sort of long opening drone, that for me that would have been sort of almost anathema because I would have wanted to get to the hook, get to the tune in, in some sort of way. But I have learned to be really comfortable with that. Minimalism has been a major influence on Andy Dobson, especially Philip Glass and Steve Reich. He even named a piece in homage of Steve Reich's Music for 18 Musicians. Steve Reich has always been, you know, a massive influence on me. I, on the last record, I had a track called 18, which was a direct homage. That sound turns up in interesting ways on Set the Weather Fair, but it's sometimes coming from Graveson. On Gold of the Azure, he plays a handpan. These are the knockoffs, no insult intended, of the hung drum, which looks like a flying saucer with bumps, and is the instrument of the millennium thus far. It lends itself to cyclical patterns. I bought myself a handpan, you know, these big round flying saucer, metal flying saucer things, and I learned to play it badly, but well enough to kind of really appreciate, again, the sonic texture of it. Even though it's a physical, physically played instrument, I really loved the fact that it allowed me to get quite quickly to exploring the sonics rather than working out how the bloody thing worked. Sometimes, on tracks like The Dance's Pattern, it's hard to tell what's electronic and what's acoustic. We found an approach to percussion using samples, but mangling them out of all recognition. But when I say mangling them, I'm not destroying them into a distorted mess. I'm just transforming them into something else. I'm not interested in completely destroying them. I just want to transform them into something that's uniquely ours.
that how much electronics get into the digitonal sound, Dobson doesn't want to lose sight of the chamber side of the ambient chamber music equation. I've always loved that and I love it because of the chamber part of it. And actually, as I get older, I listen to more and more classical chamber music. In terms of the albums that and the music I was listening to whilst we were focused on this album, like the Ravel String Quartet, for instance, became a massive piece of music. And there's nothing directly influenced within the album, but the playfulness of the parts in that as a piece of chamber music and something designed, it's not designed for a big stadium, it's designed for intimacy. In case there was any doubt to the classical part of Digitonal's ambient chamber music, just listen to the track called Sentences. It's based on a piece by Purcell that's been a well-trodden path from the funeral sentences for Queen Mary, which is a piece that I have been obsessed about since I was a child. I mean, I sang it in a choir when I was about eight years old, and I've always loved it. I've loved that chord sequence. Um, then obviously it was picked up by Wendy Carlos for the soundtrack to A Clockwork Orange and it became the main theme to that. And actually that in some ways was no more than me just sort of wanting to do my take on it, like always wanting to do a version of it. Digitonals said the Weather Fair isn't a pandemic album per se, but it was inspired by the times and our response to them. There's a poem by Louis McNeese called Fanfare for the Makers that uh, I was introduced to a long time ago, which had always sort of resonated with me. And then I think coming into the late stages of making this album, Dom and I had both landed on this idea of our creativity like literally sort of keeping us alive like it was the most important thing in the world I think now particularly you know in the world we're living in right now more than anything else like the idea of making things or creating is so under attack you know in the face of just sort of needing to be productive the Louis McNeese poem ends with this line of to make is such so let us make and set the weather fair um, and that's where the album title came from so th this really is a bit of a hymn to the makers Digitonal are makers of some of the most moving ambient chamber music on the planet. Their latest album is Set the Weather Fair. It was the Echoes CD of the Month for November 2020, and it was in the top five of the Best of Echoes 2020. It's out on Just Music.
You can read my review of Digitonal's Set the Weather Fair on our website at echoes.org. In fact, you can see my reviews of their two previous albums as well, which are all Echoes CD of the Month picks. I'll have links for that in the posting for this podcast. And now, another icon of Echoes as we count up the 30 that you chose for our first 30 years. This is the eighth icon, Steve Reich. There are two musicians who are always cited in virtually every interview on Echoes. One of them is Brian Eno, the other one is Steve Reich. Brian Eno is the number one icon of Echoes, but he himself was influenced by Steve Reich. Today, I bring you the eighth of 30 icons. When musicians cite Reich, they usually mean just one work, his seminal music for 18 musicians released in 1978. But Reich has composed dozens of compositions and influential pieces like electric counterpoint, drumming, different trains, and it's gonna rain. He's the only classical musician I know who ever came out on stage and performed a piece with just hand claps. Along with Phil Class and Terry Riley, Steve Reich upended the classical music cart in the 1970s and now they are the establishment. Reich's influence extends far beyond classical music and the avant-garde. From Mike Oldfield's Two-Wheeler Bells to Coldplay's Clocks, echoes of Steve Reich can be heard. His sound pervades the sampling of hip-hop and the tense strains of film music. Steve Reich is 84 now, but on his 70th birthday, we recorded an extensive piece on him. We revisit it today in the coronation of Steve Reich as the eighth icon of Echoes. Kimberly Haas cycles through minimalist memories with Steve Reich. Steve Reich has just moved to the countryside on the New York and Connecticut border, but the city energy still remains as he answers the door with one hand and bargains on a cell phone with the other. Well, just to go, I, mean, I don't really remember what's, uh, what's going on. Sitting down in his home office, his computer beeps with incoming email throughout I the interview. Really, uh... Also, I'm obviously a very city-type person, and, you know, you can take the boy out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the boy. Steve Reich looks more like a New England farmer than a New York City composer. He's always sporting a plain baseball cap over a face with deeply etched smile lines and seems more likely to mount a tractor than a podium. Despite the country appearance, he has been as emblematic of New York City as any contemporary composer. But now he's seeking a calmer energy. I function better with trees and peace and quiet than I do on Broadway and Warren Street. One musician who hears that difference is pianist George Winston. He dedicated his piece, Tamarack Pines, to Reich. I was hearing a lot of Steve Reich, especially in Vermont, and it turns out he comes here to, to be in a different environment from New York, and it made perfect sense. His music sounds like Vermont to me and New Hampshire. And When he says that, Winston probably isn't thinking of pieces like City Life. Steve Reich. I got involved with the piece City Life, which involved me going around with my portable tape recorder in New York City recording Staten Island Ferry and, uh, you know, fire trucks going down Broadway in the later part of the afternoon and the chimes on subways, you know, uh, as the door closes, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
I took things that I hated and said, now, now I'm going to make music out of you. Car alarms in the middle of the night, you know, when they first were invented, they were always going off, you know, at, at three o'clock in the morning. Whether you realized it or not, the music of Steve Reich was the soundtrack for the late 20th century. Its tense, repeating cycles could be heard in film scores, commercials, and pop music. But that wasn't always the case. Along with Philip Glass, Terry Riley, and Lamont Young, Reich led the charge into a new tonality with a style that was dubbed minimalism. It was a radical concept in the 1960s when classical music was the province of atonal composers. The effect of Stockhausen Boulez Berio Inc. and John Cage Inc. was so powerful in the late 50s and, and, uh, and throughout the 60s that if you didn't do that, you were dismissed as an irrelevant fool. Reich chose to be a fool whose relevance remains unchallenged, but his initial tonalism was still pretty avant-garde. His early compositions used tape loops of found spoken word tracks on compositions like Come Out and It's Gonna Rain. Well, It's Gonna Rain is a recording of a black preacher in Union Square in San Francisco preaching about the flood and the end of the world, and the piece is about the end of the world. It starts off with the, with the preacher's voice saying they didn't believe it's going to rain. What happens in It's Going to Rain in the first movement is that, that that loop starts out in unison with itself on two separate machines, and gradually one machine moves ahead of the other, controlled by my thumb to some extent, until finally it's, let's say, midway out of phase, so that you hear it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, and rain, 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 and then it begins to slide out of that and eventually move back the other 180 degrees, so to speak, until it's back in unison, at which point that movement is over, and then another movement begins. Uh, it's a, ultimately perhaps a very d depressing and ugly piece, but therein lies its strength. Reich's concepts still resonate today and can be found in examples and samples across the music spectrum. For Brian Eno, it altered his perception of music. When you're listening to It's Gonna Rain, if you're enjoying it, what you're enjoying is your own perceptual processes doing something. They're reconfiguring that material. They're making constructions of it. They're comparing this moment with that moment. They're filtering things. They're amplifying other things. So really, a lot of what's happening with minimal music is not so much to do with you looking at a work operating outside of yourself. It's to do with lo you looking at your brain operating on something. The tape loop pieces began pointing Reich towards African and Balinese rhythms, which built complex forms out of simple elements. In 1970, Steve Reich went to Ghana after reading a book of African music transcriptions called Studies in African Music by A.M. Jones. And what I saw were repeating patterns in what we would call 12-8 superimposed so the downbeats don't coincide in a nutshell. And to see that notation was really the major awakening to African music, and that's back in 62. In 1970, I went to Ghana because I felt, well, you know, I want to see what it's like in situation. I want to go through exactly what Jones went through. And I went to Ghana because Jones had gone to Ghana. And I worked with the Ewe tribe because Jones had worked with the Ewe tribe. And the emotional aura around it said things like, 
Yes, percussion can be the dominant voice in the orchestra. Yes, percussion can be a more complex, interesting sound than electronically generated sound. That idea has been the basis of much of his music, from drumming through his most acclaimed and influential work, Music for 18 Musicians. Throughout the 1980s and into the 21st century, Steve Reich remains both an experimenter and a tonalist. Beginning with Tehillim in 1981, he began an exploration of his Jewish roots through music. Tehillim is a modern medieval setting of the Psalms, and he's continued this theme through new works like Daniel Variations. Whether commenting on the Holocaust with different trains or setting Hebrew texts on UR variations, Steve Reich's music transcends, much like two of his heroes, Johann Sebastian Bach and John Coltrane. It's why many people call it spiritual, although he's not always comfortable with that. So for me, religious music is music which is usable in a traditional religious service. Spiritual music, I find, <laughs> is really what people like. <laughs> if they like it a whole lot and it really gets to them, then they say it's spiritual. And that's very nice. Kimberly Haas bringing us Steve Reich, number eight, among 30 icons of Echoes. And he is still active, composing, and recording. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone on our 30 icons list who wasn't influenced by him. Did I ever tell you the story about Steve Reich push-starting my VW bug in the middle of a snowstorm? I'll have a link to that story in the posting for this podcast. Next week on the Echoes Podcast, the ambient country group, emphasis on ambient, they're called Sus. We'll also hear the ninth icon of Echoes, Robert Rich. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now, or whenever you want. <laughs>